And you'll notice that on the back that there's a list of workshops. Each day has a different theme. So depending on the role that you play in the church, one of those days may be more attractive than the others in terms of wanting to come and attend those workshops. And then, of course, every evening there is the uh, every morning there's morning devotions, and every evening there's the evening session that has worship and um, and Bible teaching. We're really excited about the speakers who will be there, and also uh, Seth Morley will be leading worship. So we're very excited about um, convention. That'll be June 27th through July 2nd. So we invite you all to be a part of that. All right, now as we move into our sermon, we are continuing with this year's focus on loving our neighbors. Hopefully, you have been thinking a bit more concretely, a bit more shorter term of how you're going to love your neighbors because the weather is getting better. I mean, not steadily, right? It's Oregon. So I, I told you that I had jinxed us with our pool, and that was true. We got some cold weather, but there's warm weather coming up, and the warmer the weather is, the easier it is for you to interact with your neighbors. And so hopefully you're starting to think about what that might look like. Maybe you're starting to think about planning some kind of block party or gathering or a barbecue in your front yard or something that you can do to connect with your neighbors. Or maybe just saying hi as you uh, are gardening at the same time or developing relationships. But at this point in our year, as we're looking in this sermon series called Eternal Life, we're talking about the challenge that we face as God's people who are called to love our neighbors and trying to find the resources within ourselves to be able to not only live our own life, but to be able to help other people at the same time. And what we've been finding is that Jesus does not ask us to find our, the resources within ourselves to do that. Frankly, Jesus would agree with the way we feel that we don't even really have the resources within ourselves to live our own lives well, let alone to help other people. And so what we're finding is that the Bible doesn't ask you to be enough for yourself and everybody else. Rather, the Bible and the gospel calls you to seek life in Jesus because Jesus is the one who is enough for you and for the relationships that you build with your neighbors. And what we have to offer is this eternal life that comes from Jesus. But one of the recurring themes in this series, as we've been looking at conversations that Jesus has with people in the Gospel of John, is that this kind of life is totally different than the life that we're born with, the life that comes naturally to us. Our normal mortal life is based on consumption. I sustain myself by eating, by drinking, by taking in oxygen. I, I sustain myself by the resources I can control and consume. Eternal life is the complete opposite of that, to the point that Paul and Jesus both describe it as a kind of death, of being born again, of adopting an entirely different kind of life. And here's the challenge that that presents. What we've seen is that your mortal life does not equip you for eternal life. We are not even, Jesus reiterates, has reiterated several times in these conversations that we don't, even, we don't even have the ability to recognize eternal life. We have to learn about it from Jesus as the one who has been there, who has lived that life. We have to trust him. And that leads us into a challenge of we're seeking eternal life when we don't even really know what it looks like. Has anybody ever asked you to look for something and you don't know what it looks like? It makes it really hard. And so you have to trust the person who's describing it to you, that you're going to find the right thing. And this is the challenge that we face as Christians, is that we are called to seek eternal life, to be sustained by eternal life, but we have to trust Jesus as to what eternal life looks like. And as opposed to the people who are talking to Jesus in John, we don't get the benefit of Jesus physically standing there uh, answering questions for us. So we also have that intermediate step of having to trust 
in others to help us understand what Jesus is saying. And this is a challenge that Jesus addresses in John chapter 10. In the passage we're going to read, Jesus has been in Jerusalem and he has healed a blind man. And the blind man goes around telling everybody that he's been healed. And the Pharisees have a problem with this because Jesus, they don't believe that Jesus is leading Israel down the right path. They believe that Jesus is leading them down the path to destruction. Jesus would say the Pharisees are leading people down the path to destruction. And so when the Pharisees try to tell this blind, this no longer blind guy that he doesn't know what he's talking about, that Jesus can't be trusted, and the, blind, the formerly blind guy says, well, I can see that seems like a pretty good indicator to me, it provokes this confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees about who are we supposed to trust and how do we know who we're going to trust. Jesus, in this passage, he circles back around a few times and mixes some metaphors. So I'm going to read for us the whole passage, and then we're going to unpack it um, and find the answer to this question of how do we know how to seek something that we've never, that we, that we don't recognize for ourselves? How do we know how to find eternal life? Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they all know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech But the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he comes, when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the she- of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. So this passage relies heavily on metaphors involving shepherding and taking care of sheep. Uh, And so Jesus begins by addressing the fact that there are multiple people claiming to be the shepherds of Israel. If you go through the Old Testament, there's a bunch of references to the leaders of Israel as shepherds. So it's a common metaphor. Um, Moses and David were shepherds before they were leaders, and so it's just something they use a lot. And so anybody claiming to be a shepherd of Israel is claiming to be a leader who can lead them to eternal life, abundant life, to lead them to the fulfillment of of their mission, to the fullness of what God has for them. And the thing is that at this time, Jesus is speaking at a time when there are many different voices in Israel pointing different directions to abundant life. 
Now, he's confronting one of them, the Pharisees. The Pharisees say that the way that Israel will get abundant life is by strict law-keeping. In fact, not just keeping the law of Moses, but like keeping it and then some to make sure that no one gets even close to breaking the law. Because if, if we break the law, then God will reject us. But if we follow the law strictly with no uh, compassion, no, um, no, just no question, we're going to do everything exactly the right way, then we will have the kind of life that God wants for us. It's all just about the legalism. Right? And they were very harsh about this enforcement with no compassion, no understanding. Just doesn't matter what your circumstances, you've got to do it this way. There were also the Sadducees. Sadducees would have been essentially the health and wealth preachers of the time. They said that, hey, as long as you pay your tithe to the temple, you participate in the sacrificial system, you're going to do great. I mean, look at us, the people who run the temple. We're doing pretty well off of this, right? The Sadducees were all wealthy because they were telling everybody to work through the temple. But if you participate in the temple system, then, you will, then we will reach abundant life. I always find it interesting when the people who live on the tithes advocate paying tithes as a way to get wealthy. It's just an interesting approach. Um, <clears throat> then you would have people like the Essenes. The Essenes, they were the ones who, uh, who kept the, the Dead Sea Scrolls. The reason why we found the Dead Sea Scrolls is because the Essenes said, look, this community is lost. There's no hope for it. So what you need to do is you need to leave. We're going to go out into the desert where nobody else wants to live and we'll form a community. And that way, when we're separated from all those sinners, we will be able to live the abundant life that God wants for us. The abundant life comes by separating us away from all those, all those lawbreakers. You'd also have zealots. Zealots said that abundant life comes from political independence. If we can take charge of the government and we can have legal control and, and have the power, we can make our lives abundant through force. And then finally, you had the Hellenistic Jews who said, actually, the best way for us to have abundant life is just to accept the fact that the Greeks are in charge, that their culture is dominant, and we can find a way for our culture to meld with them, and we'll just compromise with the surrounding culture and, and just go with the flow. Right? Just don't, don't resist, don't make a fuss, we'll just, just go with it, and, and that way we will have abundant life. There are all of these voices in Israel trying to tell the Jews which way to go, and they legitimately fought multiple wars over these different perspectives. There were multiple civil wars in the time between the Testaments where the Jews were fighting over which direction to go. Thankfully, we don't have to deal with that kind of thing today where that people disagree on the direction we should be going as, as a nation or as Christians, right? We're all pulling the same direction. Obviously, if anything, we're, you know, we're more pluralistic today, and so the number of choices you have of how to pursue abundant life is about as long as the list of cable channels, if not more, right? Like, or now it's streaming services. There's just so many options. And that is true not just in culture, but in the church, Right? And it's amplified by the fact that not only do we know there are preachers out there preaching all kinds of different perspectives, but you can go on YouTube and listen to all of them today. Right? We have access to all of these different perspectives, all of these different messages of, of telling people how to reach abundant life. And so this is, a, this is a major challenge for us, that there are many voices, even within the church, offering us different paths to full abundant life. You may have noticed that as I listed for you the different schools of Judaism, you can find equivalents of those in the church today, every one of them. 
right? There are people, we have, we have the health and wealth, we have legalism, we have let's separate from all the, the sinners and just stay away from them. There's let's control the government because that's what Christians are supposed to do. And there's, hey, let's go with the flow and just, just compromise with our surrounding culture. We have all of those voices in the church. And the question is, how are we supposed to know which one to follow? Because Jesus, one thing that Jesus makes very clear in this passage is there is only one way that comes from God. All the others are false. Now, I think it's important for us to, to not overly narrowly define that one way because a lot of Christians will say, well, the one way is this statement of faith and doctrine that we have that you have to, you know. But there is only one way of living that actually leads to eternal life. That's what Jesus is saying here. That when you have all these diverging philosophies of what full, abundant life looks like, they can't all be right. As much as we may want that to be the truth, that's just not how the world works. Just like there aren't abundant ways of being physically healthy, right? You, can, you, like, you can't eat every type of food and, or adopt every kind of diet and be healthy. If I adopt the pizza-only diet, it's, no matter how hard I believe in it, I'm not going to be healthy, right? Um, so Jesus multiple times points out that in these multiplicity of voices, they can't all be followed. They can't all be trusted. This is very truly, this is where he starts. He says, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and robber. So what he's talking about, a sheep pen in the ancient world would have looked like this. A circle or a square with a stone wall and a gap. Okay? Now I'm going to put two figures into this picture and I want you to tell, if, if, you want to see if you can tell which one's the robber and which one's the shepherd. Now, obviously, you have more to go on than their positioning. But, like, if you were watching from a hill and you knew nothing about this sheep pen, but you saw one person walking in and out through the gap and another person sneaking over the wall, would you be able to tell who was supposed to be there and who wasn't? Right? What he's saying is there's one door. There's one way in. And if people come to you by other ways, yeah, they didn't come from God. God doesn't send people sneaking in the back way. So you know that the right person to listen to is the one who actually follows the way that God has laid out for us. Jesus says, all who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. All who came before him, he's talking about those, those 400 years of fighting and disputing about what the right direction was to go. They were all robbers. Now, this is something that I, I realized I've been misreading when I, this, when I prepared for this sermon. I was, you know, last week years old when I figured out that the thing kids are saying these days. Um, when he says, I always thought thieves and robbers means that these are people who are out to get me, right? They're out to fleece me. These are dishonest people trying to manipulate me for their own gain. But that's not what Jesus is saying because then all I would have to do is look for someone who's sincere, who's not trying to fleece me, and I could assume that that person is leading me down the right path. Or it just makes me suspicious that everybody is out there to hurt me which is also not the attitude that Jesus is talking about. But notice, in this picture, that guy peeking over the fence, he's not there to rob the sheep, is he? Who's he there to rob? The shepherd, right? He's there to rob the owner of the sheep. So when Jesus says they're thieves and robbers, he's not saying they're coming to fleece you. He's saying they're coming to steal you from God. They may be completely sincere in their belief that what they're doing is the right thing, right? It might be PETA coming in to deliver these sheep from the oppression of the shepherd. 
right? And they think they're doing what's right. They're 100% sincere. But if the shepherd really is the good shepherd who knows what's right for the sheep, then they're stealing those sheep away from where they're supposed to be. So what Jesus is saying is that there's really only one, there's only one pasture of abundant life. There's only one right place for us to go. And anyone leading us in different directions is stealing us away from that. So it's really important that we are able to identify the right shepherd. Right? It's very important that we're able to know which voice to follow because there's actually a lot at stake. All roads don't lead to the same place. Right? They actually lead in very different directions. When people talk about how all religions are the same or they all lead to the same thing, the interesting thing is if you ask them, if you ask the leaders of different religions where their religion is leading, they'll all give you different answers, right? If you ask, it's not, nothing even critical about them, but if you ask a Buddhist how to get to heaven, they'll say, that's not where I'm trying to go. If you ask them, how can I get my sins forgiven? They're saying, that's not the problem. They're saying the problem is material existence and what, you're, what you should be trying to reach is nirvana, which means not existing at all. Right? Totally different direction they're trying to go from us. So as we're asking, what is the right direction to go? It, it, that question matters, and the answer matters. We can't just be passively accepting whatever we're hearing. That's what Jesus is saying here. But notice that for us, it seems really, um, that this is a, could be a really anxious issue, a real, like, a really concerning question, but Jesus does not seem to be concerned, right? In that passage, did you hear Jesus say anything about any of his sheep being deceived? No, he's, he's actually, he's talking to the Pharisees, and he tells, he's basically telling them, yeah, this isn't going to work, guys, because my sheep aren't going to listen to you, right? He says, they're going to follow me. They don't, they, they run away from the thieves and the robbers. They follow me. Jesus is completely unconcerned, because his sheep know the difference. And his sheep know the difference because they know the shepherd's voice. His sheep know the difference between the voice of Jesus and the voice of a thief or a robber. They recognize the difference. They may not know what the voice is saying, but they can tell the voice, right? So he says the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, for the shepherd, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Later he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Now, what does it mean to say that the sheep know his voice? Well, this, if you're like me and you're raised in a context with a lot of um, Calvinism or Reformed theology, when that idea is introduced, you can start to see it in a lot of places. We talked about this last week, this idea of determinism, that God has decided who's going to the good place and who's going to the bad place, and we're just acting out the script. And so this is one of those places where people who bring that idea to the text might say, well, God has decided that these people are going to be his sheep, and they just will automatically, because he's, because he's um, elected them, they're going to know right from wrong, they're going to take the right path, and these other people, they're just out of luck. Those other sheep, are, they're just not in the flock, sorry. But that's not what Jesus is saying. And the only way you would get that is if you bring that with you into the passage. Because he doesn't talk about 
predetermining who's his sheep and who aren't. He says, my sheep recognize my voice. And if he wanted to say that the sheep always knew his voice, that they were born with that, he should have used a different metaphor. Because sheep are not born knowing their shepherd's voice. Right? I know how many times I've heard preachers say, and I will say it as well because it's true, being called a sheep is not a compliment. Sheep are dumb. Right? That's why there are so many different ways human beings have invented to try and keep them together. Right? We use animals, we use sticks, we use fences, we use all kinds of things just to keep the sheep from wandering off because sheep are dumb. They are not born with an innate knowledge of their shepherd's voice. So if we are like sheep, and we're supposed to be like sheep who know the shepherd's voice, I believe Jesus chose that metaphor because it is apt, because it fits when you look at the way sheep get to know their shepherd's voice. How do sheep know their shepherd's voice? They know it because they have listened and learned his voice. It's because they have spent time with the shepherd. The shepherd was there when they were born. The shepherd is there with them every day. Now, they're, they're not always obeying the word of the shepherd. That's why he's there. They're frequently disobeying his, his voice, but they're hearing it. They're learning it. They're getting used to it. So that even though they don't understand his words and they only vaguely understand his commands, they recognize his voice and they can tell it apart. This is actually true that shepherds can keep mix their flocks and one shepherd will go in and just call out his own sheep or her own sheep, and they'll just sort themselves out because they recognize the voice. This comes from spending time together. Okay? But it's not just spending time together because spending time with a person doesn't automatically make you love them, does it? See, if he was a cruel shepherd, then the more time they spent with him, the more they'd recognize his voice and the less they would trust him. Right, because they got to know him. You, have, you know anybody that the more you know them, the less you trust them because what you're learning about them is they're not trustworthy? That is also a possibility. So it's not simply the fact that the shepherd spends a lot of time with them that trains the sheep to follow him. It's also the conduct of the shepherd, what they learn about the shepherd. Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, this is an interesting passage because this is where Jesus seems to be mixing the metaphor. At the beginning of the parable, he is the shepherd that goes through the gate as opposed to the robber who goes over the wall. At the end of the passage, he is the good shepherd who defends his flock. But here in the middle, he's the gate. The gate that just a second ago, he was walking through. Okay? Now, it is probably what's happening is Jesus is just mixing the metaphor. He does that, and you just track with it, and that's okay. You know, you can figure out, you know what he's saying. But as I was studying for this, I came across a story from an 18th century theologian, or 19th century theologian, that is really illuminating for another sense in which Jesus could mean, I am the gate. And I want to read you this, this story. It's from a guy, uh, it's about a guy named George Adam Smith as he was traveling in the Middle East. He was one day traveling with a guide and came across a shepherd and his sheep. He fell into conversation with him. The man showed him the fold into which the sheep were, were led at night. It consisted of four walls with a way in. 
So George said to him, that is where they go at night? Yes, said the shepherd. And when they are there, they are perfectly safe. But there is no door, said Sir George. I am the door, said the shepherd. He was not a Christian man. He was not speaking in the language of the New Testament. He was speaking from the Arab shepherd's standpoint. Sir George looked at him and said, what do you mean by the door? Said the shepherd, when the light has gone and all the sheep are inside, I lie in that open space and no sheep ever goes out but across my body and no wolf comes in unless he crosses my body. I am the door. What, what we're seeing here is pictured like this. You see a, a sheep pen with four sides and a gap, and the shepherd is the door. He is the one who controls access to the sheep. He is the one who keeps the wolves out, who keeps the sheep in, who lets the sheep out and guides them to the pasture of abundant life. But this is the majority of the time that the, that the uh, sheep spend with him, right? Is when he's just laying there, dozing in the doorway, protecting them. What they have learned about the shepherd in all this time is that he is there to protect them and provide for them. He is there to watch over them. So the sheep trust his voice because they know the shepherd will protect them and provide for them. They learn about the character of the shepherd. This is why Jesus compares himself with the others and says, I'm the good shepherd, they're the hirelings. Right? You know, if you work in retail, they tell you don't do anything to stop a shoplifter. They actually tell you don't do anything to stop a shoplifter. If you get injured, that's going to cost us more than the theft. Honestly, it's not worth it. We don't, you're not security. We're not paying you for that. Just let them go. You're hired. Like That's not your equipment. That's not your product that they're stealing. Just let them go. Okay? Same thing. When you're hired help, you don't have that much invested in the product. You're invested in the paycheck. And Jesus says, I'm the one who's invested in the flock. I am the one who is here to protect you. Those wolves will get you literally over my dead body. Actually, not literally, because even in spite of his death, they still don't get the flock. There's one more thing that Jesus says. It's just kind of this little aside, and if you blink, you might miss it, that is really important for us as we recognize our responsibility and the, the significance of following the shepherd. Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock, and one shepherd. And this tells us two things. On the surface, number one, it tells us that Jesus has, it has, flocks, uh, has sheep among the Gentiles. The most immediate meaning is that, you know, there's, I have sheep among the Jews, but I also have sheep among the Gentiles, and we're gonna, I'm going to draw them all out and bring them to one shepherd. All, I'm going to rule over them myself. You know, we'll be one people, which is a very important turn in the story of, of the plan of God. But it also tells us something very important about what it means to follow the sheep, follow the shepherd, which is that it's not enough to be in the right fold. Right? The whole point here is he's saying that within this fold, some of you are my sheep. You're not my sheep because you're in the fold. You're in my sheep. You're in my you're in you're not in my flock because you're in this fold. You're in this pen. 
You're in my flock because you recognize my voice. So I'm going to call you, and some of you will come out. And then we're going to go over to this pen over here. And you know what? Even though they're in a different pen, some of them are my sheep too. And what makes them my sheep is I'm going to call them, they're going to recognize my voice, and they're going to come out. So what defines the flock of Jesus? It's not the pen that you're in. It's not the building that you're in. It's not the fact that you're surrounded by Jesus' sheep. It's the fact that you know his voice. Right? It's the fact that you know his voice. It's not enough to hang out with Jesus' sheep or just to hang out in the right pen because at a certain point, the flock in that pen is going to split up and go different directions. And you're going to need to know who to follow. And there will be sheep that you respect going in every one of those directions. Sheep that seem pretty smart going in every one of those directions. But the point isn't to follow the smartest sheep. The sheep are dumb. The point is to follow the shepherd. Right? That means that every sheep needs to learn to recognize the voice of the shepherd for themselves. Each sheep has to learn the shepherd's voice for themselves. Another way of saying, uh, one, of those, one of those popular sayings about the church, that the church is always one generation away from extinction. There are no second generation Christians. God doesn't have grandchildren, right? That each person has to recognize the voice and choose to follow the shepherd for themselves. And that puts a lot of responsibility on you. Because our temptation as people is to find the simplest way to make decisions and say, hey, that person sounds good. I'm going to follow them. I'm going to agree with what they're saying. And so maybe you agree with what I'm saying because you like the way I'm saying it. Right? Maybe you're going to listen to someone on YouTube and say, I don't like the way they say it as much as I like the way Pastor Matt says it, so I think Pastor Matt's right. Or maybe you prefer the way they're saying it. And you're like, well, I'll go to this church because it's my local church and I like the people, but man, I prefer the guy on YouTube to Matt. But ultimately, it's not a matter of who says it best. It's not a matter of who says it in the most convincing way. It's a matter of who sounds like Jesus. And every preacher and every Christian leader is a mixed bag. Sometimes I sound like Jesus, I hope. Sometimes I don't. And if you just take everything I say as gospel, just because I said it, you're going to get misled. Because the only book that is pure gospel is this one. The only voice that is pure gospel is this one. And so... Each, ultimately, each one of us has to get to know the voice of our Savior. I, I do not stand between you and Jesus. I stand next to you before Jesus. And we are a congregation that helps each other, and we each play different roles, and I have a particular role in that, but I don't stand between anybody and Jesus. And every one of us has to learn how to recognize the voice of Jesus. That's why we have more than just the preaching that happens in our church. That's why we have groups that get together and study. And one of the first questions we ask in our small groups is, you know, what did you, what did you think about the sermon? What did you disagree with? Because you're allowed to do that, right? It's entirely possible when you disagree that you're right. I hope that, what, that God guides me in what I say here, but I would never say that everything I say is right. I do my best. 
But ultimately, each one of us has to be, learn to exercise discernment. That's why we have Sunday school classes. That's why we have a library. That's why we have a congregation, because we help each other to learn to recognize the voice of our shepherd. And so each one of us has to take responsibility for learning the voice of Jesus. Now, remember, it's like being sheep. You don't have to be smart to be a sheep, right? You don't have to be an academic. I'm not saying we all need to be scholars who learn Hebrew and Greek and are experts in the Bible. Sheep don't actually understand what the shepherd's saying, but they recognize the voice. Like, my dog does not understand what I'm saying. I can say anything I want, depending on the tone. He recognizes the tone, right? He recognizes my character and my personality, and he responds to that. Now, some of the wisest, most godly people that I know, some of the people with the best gospel sense that I know are not academic at all. And there are tons of academics who do not recognize the voice of Jesus at all, right? And actually, I went to a church right out of seminary, and they, they hired a new pastor while I was there, and I really ended up not liking his approach because he, he was very critical of other perspectives, and he would mock other denominations from the pulpit and do all these things that were very negative. And I ultimately ended up leaving that congregation because I just couldn't sit under that teaching. But I knew a lot of really great people there. And actually, one of them came out to Oregon and become a pastor. And his parents were some of the most godly, wonderful people I knew when I was going to that church. And it's been about 10 years now of them sitting under that pastor and his preaching. And you know what they're like now? They are some of the godliest people that I know. Now, part of that is that the measure of being godly is not agreeing with me. So it's entirely possible, you know, the fact that I disagree with that guy does not mean that people can't grow under him. But also, these are people that I call um, theological ducks. Here's what I mean. They can sit and listen to teaching from someone who knows more about the Bible, who knows more about the languages, and go, okay, well, yeah, that's probably true. But the things that aren't gospel, they just kind of roll off their back. Because they know the character of Jesus. And so... They're, the things that contradict Jesus' character just don't really stick. I really hope that that's the kind of congregation we will have. That is my hope for every one of you. I hope that everything I say is fully in line with the voice of Jesus. But more importantly, I hope that if I say something that's not in the character of Jesus, that it just won't sink into you. Because you know the voice of your shepherd. You go, ah, today Matt just didn't sound like him. Oh, well. Hope he does better next time. You know? That's what will sustain a church. That's what will keep us on mission. That's what will give us an impact in our community. It's not whether we have the best preacher or the best things happening up here, but if we have a congregation that is dedicated to knowing the voice of their shepherd and following him. That's what will make the difference. And so ultimately... You can't, if, if a preacher comes up to you and says, hey, here is the, here's the gospel, here's the thing that you, don't worry about, you don't have to read all this stuff anymore, right? I've got the system, I've got the points, and they all start with the same letter, or they spell out a word or something, so it's easy to remember. Here's the, here is the statement of faith, or here is the tract that you can substitute for the Bible, this is the gospel. Be very skeptical, right? Nothing takes the place of this, and nothing takes the place of the voice of the Holy Spirit, and the discernment of the body. That being said, that you should not let anything replace this, 
I am going to give you um, a first step litmus test. And I'm going to give this to you because it comes from Jesus. Because it's the litmus test he gives in this passage. It's kind of a quick test. Um, before, you know, so if they, if they fail this test, you don't have to go any further. If they succeed, if they pass the test, then you want to go further. But here's the test. The way of Jesus, among all the things that it is, the way of Jesus is self-sacrifice and resurrection. And I tell you that, again, Jesus, this is what Jesus emphasizes, and it is usually the first thing we jettison when we decide to make our own version of the gospel and put Jesus' name on it. All the, 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 the robbers, when we get to robbing, we tend to jettison the whole self-sacrifice thing. We want to take that away because that'll make it more attractive or that'll make it easier or more beneficial to me. But we, we really don't like the self-sacrifice part. But notice how Jesus defines himself as the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to take it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. What sets Jesus apart as the good shepherd is his willingness to sacrifice himself for the flock. And so self-sacrifice is at the heart of what eternal life is. And here's where I'm going to mix the metaphor a bit, because this is not just Jesus died for us to earn our allegiance. We've talked about this before. He didn't just earn our allegiance by that. He also showed us the way. So you don't just have to be sheep. You also have to be lemmings. Because as Jesus leads us to, in the path to the pasture of abundant life, he leads us over the cliff of self-sacrifice. And you've got to follow him in faith. That is the path that Jesus leads us on. Jesus dies for us, but he doesn't die for us so that we don't have to make sacrifices. He dies for us to open us the way of self-sacrifice that leads us to abundant life. Because the only way to get to the pasture of true abundant life is to adopt this life of self-service, of self-sacrifice, self-sacrifice, right? That is the only way to get there. So your first test when somebody comes up and says, I'm going to explain to you in three Three simple, alliterative words, the way of Jesus, right? Well, is one of them self-sacrifice. Because I know that's what Jesus wants us to do. Let me land the plane here. Here's where I want you to take home today. Three, three points. First of all, there is only one path that leads to the life that truly fulfills and sustains. There's only one. Just like the, the Jews in Jesus' time, we have a lot of voices pulling us in different directions. Only one of them actually leads us to abundant life. And notice, I don't mean one way as in one narrow set of doctrinal beliefs. What I mean is one way of living, one example to follow, one pathway to walk. And so it is really important for us to choose this path, but also to recognize that it is the path to the only life that really matters, the life to which we're actually made, to, the life which we're actually made to live. You don't want to end up where the other paths go. So this choice matters eternally. 
Secondly, I want you to remember that the only way to stay on that path is to learn to recognize the voice of the shepherd for yourself. That means spending time with Jesus. Spending time in his word, spending time in prayer, spending time with his people. And I also want this to adjust your measure of a successful Bible study. Because too often, we, want, we judge a successful Bible study based on whether I've got some great application to help me solve a, a, make a decision in my life or something like that. Like, well, I got something out of this. I learned something. Therefore, it was a su- successful Bible study. But that's not, how, that's not how you measure successful time between a shepherd and his sheep. Right? The point of the sheep spending time with their shepherd, most of the time, they have no idea what the shepherd's saying. They don't speak English or whatever language the shepherd speaks. They don't speak human. But by spending time with him, even in the, those times when they don't understand, they learn to recognize his character, his values. They learn to recognize who he is. And then those bells will start to go off that they can't quite explain or that tell them, hey, this person, they don't sound like Jesus. This doesn't sound right. I, I don't feel right about going this direction because it doesn't sound like Jesus. That's the goal, is to get to know Jesus. And finally, I want you to remember in all of this, because this is a difficult path to follow, that Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He is the shepherd who stays out there all night with his flock. He is the shepherd who stands between you and the wolf. He is the shepherd who brings you through the valley of the shadow of death to the, to the pasture of abundant life. He can be trusted to lead you to the right place, and he can be trusted to actually get you there. Jesus ends this whole discussion this way. He says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. If you belong to Jesus, he is going to get you to that pasture, and no one can stop him. No one can defeat him. And so as you invest yourself in following his way, you have this assurance that he is going to get you there and where he's taking you is the place you're meant to be. Amen? As we close, I'm going to invite the praise team up and I'm going to ask you, are you following the shepherd? Have you committed to being one of his sheep? If you haven't, today is the best day to commit to being part of his flock to recognizing him as your shepherd and committing to learning from him, to following him, and to being among his people. And so if that's the decision you need to make today, we encourage you to talk to a minister or an elder after the service. Um, if you're online, you can um, talk to, or contact the church or talk to a pastor that you know and trust, or a Christian that you know and trust. You can fill out that connect card that's in the seat back in front of you. Maybe you've been following Jesus, you've been following the shepherd, but you've stu- you, you realize that you haven't really been listening for his voice. You've been just kind of going with the flow of the flock, and you need to recommit yourself to listening for his voice above others. Today is the best day to recommit to listening to your Savior. And especially what I would encourage you to do is make sure that you are spending time learning his voice. Hopefully you're doing that as an individual, but also hopefully you're doing that in community. You're doing that in the church, whether you're part of the men's discussion group or you're part of the the ladies' movie night or you're part of a small group or a Sunday school class. Get connected with other Christians so that we can help each other to learn the voice of our Savior. And finally, I hope that you are also looking for a way to serve others. 
because that is the actual path that Jesus leads us on. At a certain point, you cannot stay in the pen and get to the pasture. You have to get out onto the path, you have to follow Jesus, and you have to do the work that he calls us to do, and that means serving. So in, front of, in the seat bag in front of you, you'll see a card that you can fill out if you're interested in serving in some way in our church. We would love to move you down that path of discipleship as you grow to be a follower of Jesus. So I encourage you to consider what step Jesus wants you to take next in your walk with him as we stand and sing our final song. Please join us.